Well, good morning. I, uh, as I sat there and uh, worshiped with you and participated in that prayer time, my heart just continued to mull over just the different places in my life where God has broken chains in my life. And I just had so many places where I could say, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for breaking chains and giving me freedom in certain places. There's just such a joy when you can look back over your life and go, thank you, thank you, thank you. And then as we sang the opening lyrics of that glorious day song, it says, I was buried beneath my shame, you know, and, and, um, and all my failures I tried to hide until I met you. And then you brought me out of that grave. And so for those that are believers in the room, I know that you have a shelf to put that on. And that is fantastic because that regret, that shame, that grief, that burden that we carried, um, we, we were able to let that be free. We don't have to carry that with us anymore. For those that consider yourself non-religious or a non-church person, I, then I know that as we pray to prayer like that, maybe you've wrestled with going, well, I... I don't understand what that means. I would like to understand what it means to have that freedom. But if I'm being honest, you're feeling like I, I still feel like I'm carrying that grief. I'm still carrying that shame. I'm still carrying that hardship. I'm still carrying those, that regret with me. And the thing about regret is, is that if you don't have a way for it to be released, it saddles with you for the rest of your life. And in fact, that regret connected to sin has eternal ramifications. And so I want to talk a little bit about regret with you today, but if you don't consider yourself a religious person, I want to offer you that there is a solution to it today. And for the Christians that are in the room today, we found that solution, but I also want to challenge you because we can take for granted and we can take advantage of and I think um, oftentimes slap God in the face with what he's done for us in terms of this forgiveness that he's offered us. And I want to give us some correction today uh, about that because it's important that we do not um, look at what God's done for us and abuse that grace that he's given to us. And so let's talk a little bit about regret so that we're all kind of on the same page together. And then I'll try to work both of the conversations together so that if you're a church person or not a church person, that at the end we'll all kind of come to the same landing point. But if, if you will, write down in your message notes or if you have a journal or, or if you're at home working with us, uh, however you want to do it through the Uversion app, uh, however you choose to take notes, um, I, I want you to write this down. Regret always begins with you pursuing something that you wanted, but ultimately you end up getting something that you didn't want. Do you hear me? Think about that. Regret always begins with something that you wanted inside your desires. You were like, man, that sounds good. I want that. And inside your desire, you begin to pursue something, but later it betrays you and you get something that you didn't want. Actually, regret always makes us desire to wish we could go back in time. If you have regret, you have often thought that if I could just go back in time and retrace those steps or have that moment back, things would be different. Regret often says, I wish I could go back in time and not sign that contract. I wish I could go back in time, regret would say, and I wish I would break up with her one month earlier. 
I, I wish I could go back in time and maybe you'd say, I wish I just I hadn't taken the job. I, I wish I could go back in time. I wish I hadn't slept with him. I wish I could go back in time and not dropped out of school. I wish I could go back in time and never went over to that party. I wish I could go back in time and not relocated my family. I don't know what your regret is, but maybe somewhere in that list you go, yeah, he understands. Because we all have regrets, and if you can look back at the etymology of your regret, most likely it began with something that you wanted, and in turn you got something that you didn't want. And you and I all have things in our lives that we regret. Things we wish we could go back and change. 2 Corinthians calls those things worldly sorrows. Those are things that break our heart, things that upset us about even ourselves, about how are we capable of even sometimes doing certain things. We look back in the course of our life and just think, what was I, how was I capable of even accomplishing that? But fortunately, like I said, to a, a, good, a good group of the audience that's here today listening to my voice, you recognize that because of your relationship with God, your regret, your sin, the mistake, that shame, that thing that you were buried beneath the weight of, wasn't the end of the story. Because you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it gave you a privilege or an opportunity to find freedom through something called forgiveness. And that freedom is accessed through something called repentance is that when you and I repent of our sins, when I confess my sins to God and I repent of my sins, because of my relationship with Jesus Christ, He will actually forgive me of my sins and actually remove that penalty. Now, it doesn't erase my past, and it doesn't erase the consequences of my sin, but the penalty of my sin, the eternal penalty of my sin, and the way God looks at me, is gone. That, 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 that sinful look that God would have, he looks at me now as forgiven. That shame and regret is not the end for a Christian. Because for us, although we all share a worldly sorrow about our shame and regret, for a Christian, it's actually what's called a godly sorrow. It's a godly sorrow that brings about repentance, and that's what God desires. It's actually found in 2 Corinthians 7. This is where that mystery is kind of unraveled. And so whether you're a church person or not, you can identify with this. Because in verse 10 of 2 Corinthians chapter 7, it says, For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience, he's talking about godly sorrow, it leads us away from sin and results in salvation. So do you realize that right now, if you're carrying a burden of, of a weight or of a grief or of, of a regret in your life that you want so bad to be gone, that drives you even to be in church or watching online, there's something inside of you that says, man, I just, I need to know, how can I get rid of this burden that I'm bearing? 
There's something inside of you that is drawing you there. So for this kind of sorrow that God wants us to experience, godly sorrow leads us away from sin and results in salvation. And there's no regret in that kind of sorrow. Again, that's godly sorrow. But watch this. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Because spiritual death, the penalty of that is, is, is ultimately eternal death. Because when you and I have uh, sin in our life, there is a wage of that. There's a penalty of sin, and that is an eternal separation from God. And unfortunately, there's nothing you and I can do about that. It is a global problem. It is an eternal problem, is that sin separates us from God, and it can't be fixed by you and I. The only thing we can do is we can pay that price, which means we spend eternity separated from God in hell. And so if you want to pay for your sin, that's how you do it. You pay for it separated from God in hell. Unless somebody else would pay it for you, but who in the world would be willing to do that? Well, Jesus is. And for Christians, we figure that out. And for Christians, we figure that when we trust him as our Lord and Savior, when we make him our forgiver and our leader, when we surrender our lives to him, there's this dynamic that takes place that now he is my Lord and my Savior. What's saving me? He's saving me from that penalty. And I'm claiming what he's done is, as he stood in the gap for me, and now I can actually confess my sins and he'll forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from my unrighteousness. And although it doesn't erase my past, it does forgive my sin, which is just fantastic. And the way that that happens, because I'm one of his children. And so you've got to be one of his children in order to claim that. And so if you've never made that decision, you'll have an opportunity today to, to reconcile that and to make that decision. But I want you to grapple with the problem that you have unless you do, because that eternal separation is a major, major problem. And when God forgives you of your sin, when you finally place your trust in him and he forgives your sin, he replaces that regret that you have with the joy. And that's what we're singing about. That's why today there's so much joy when we sing about this glorious day and about this joy that we walked out of a grave. What grave did we walk out of? The grave of eternal death, of the penalty of sin that, you, that we were all headed for, that you're headed for, unless you... Determine who Jesus is and surrender to him. It's a simple thing. It's profound. And so as Christians, we can actually stand here not guilty once we've confessed that from our past sins. We no longer have to hide in darkness and buried beneath the weight of sin and our failures that we're ashamed of. We, we've been forgiven and it allows us to stand in that glorious day and that glorious light. And so Paul says you're no longer hiding in darkness, you, you should live in the light. And so there's a passage in Ephesians where he's describing this, and he's trying to talk to Christians and reminding us of who we are in Christ and says, okay, you're children of a light. And so there's kind of some stuff that we should do, because when you finally understand who Jesus is, God's son, when you finally understand what he's done, died on a cross for you and has paid that penalty of sin, and when you finally put him in the proper place, meaning he's your Lord, he's your Savior, he's your forgiver, he's your leader. And, and so once, you, once Jesus is kind of worked out in your head and you've determined who he is, well, suddenly there's this thing that happens to you. You just naturally, in your heart, you're like, well, I just naturally want to live for you. So, like, what, what should I do? How do I live my life for you? 
And so God's word gives us a set, and you might call them rules. I don't like to look at them as rules. I just like to look at them as a guide for living. Because a loving God wouldn't just give me a set of rules that I would follow as a slave. He's given me a set of rules because he loves me, because he gives me a great life, a joyful, beneficial life. And so he gives me a set of standards in which to live by. And that what I can reflect him and that I can live a, a life that is pleasing to him, it brings me joy, that I can live making wise decisions and live with fewer regrets, and I can impact the kingdom of God. And Paul's saying, this is all it's about. You no longer live in darkness, so we need to act like children of the light. And so here's the passage in Ephesians. He's trying to communicate that to us. He says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, imitate God. Therefore, in everything that you do, because you're his dear children... So when you make this transaction, when you give your heart to God, you're considered one of his children. How cool is that? And so you, you should live a life filled with love and follow the example of Christ. And why is that? It's only natural that you should do it. Why? Because he loved us and he offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. You see, even if you're not a church person, now all of a sudden you're understanding scripture. You understand what Jesus has done, so you're like, okay, I get it. God, like, he loves us, he did this for us, and so, like, we should imitate him. We should, like, forgive our lives and kind of follow him. This makes sense. So then Paul goes on to say, since that makes sense, here's kind of the basic stuff that we should get in order. And so he says, all right, are you ready? Buckle up, because for basic Christians, like, 101, these are some things we need to get in order. Number one, in verse three, there should be, so as Christians, there should be no sexual immorality. As Christians, there shouldn't be impurity. As Christians, you shouldn't be greedy because there's, these such sins have no place with God's people. So, so ooh, gross, don't do that stuff. <laughs> and, and by the way, verse 4, obscene stories and uh, foolish talk, profanity, coarse jokes, these things, th th these are not for you. So based upon what Jesus has done for us and God's love for us, we adjust our lives, and the very first thing we should do, like, that's like easy stuff, right? We should get this outside of our lives. But sadly, still, unfortunately, even in this room, there are people who still participate in these things. And I promise you that if you are participating still in these types of behaviors, sexual immorality, impurity, pornography, It's driven by desire, but it always leads you to a place you didn't want, and it betrays you. Paul's saying, like, instead of doing those things, we should be people of thankfulness. And in verse 5, and you can be sure that no immoral and impure or greedy person will ever inherit the kingdom of God, for a greedy person is an idolater. They're worshiping the things of this world. And what he's saying is, is that it, it doesn't even make sense for someone to want to continue to live this way for someone who already understands the joy of the Lord. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't even add up. Like, how could you do these things and, and, like, yet be a Christian? Paul's saying this doesn't even reconcile. But not only that, don't, man, verse 6, it says, don't be fooled by those who try to excuse their sins. They justify, well, but I have to do that, or I do this because... Yeah, because here's why, Paul, he doesn't mix words. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Wow. And don't mess around, folks. God is no one to joke around with when it comes to sexual sins. 
Don't participate in these things that people do. He's saying, guys, like, don't do it. I don't know how much more clear God's word can be, especially here, right? I think the Bible is really pretty clear. And here's the good thing. Okay, you guys are like, that's, that's a heavy passage, man. What are we doing? We jumped in deep. Calm down. Because here's what I know is true about most of you in the room. Most people in the room, when you read that passage of Scripture, you go, a lot of that stuff's not a, not a real problem to me. And you know why? You know why when you read this checklist, you're like, yeah, sexual immorality, I don't do that. Uh, impurity, I'm not really impure. I'm not really greedy. Obscene stories, I don't really, I don't do that. I'm not into porn. I'm not into foolish talk, coarse jokes. I mean, pornography, you know, I mean, you know, profanity maybe when I work on the car. I mean, I could probably deal with that. <laughs> So maybe, or I'm in line at a checkout or in the car. I don't know, but yeah. So, but for the most part, I'm pretty good here, you know, on the list. And I think that if, if you're being honest, a lot of people, a lot of believers who are in the room can say, yeah, I'm pretty good for the most part on the list. And here's why. I can tell you why you're good on the list. It's because in your heart, on these areas, this is key, don't, don't tune out, in your heart, in these areas, you've already determined in your heart that these are wrong and not for you, and you've already settled it in your heart. And you decided, I'm not doing that. And because you've settled, you've already determined it in your heart, and you've settled the matter in your heart, these temptations no longer have power to you. And because they no longer have power to you, they're no longer options for you. And so, for example, with sexual immorality, when you leave work, you don't go to adult centers because it's not even a thought in your mind. When you have a coworker who seems to have a flirting with you, you don't even notice it. Why? Because it's not even a thought in your mind. The thought of, of, of even dating someone or even getting into an improper text conversation doesn't even cross your mind. Why? Because you've settled it in your heart. You've determined in your mind already, and you settle in your heart that this isn't even an option for me. And that's the way it should be. But for others, you do still struggle. And the reason that you struggle is because it's not settled in your heart. You've not determined in your heart, and you've not settled in your heart. And so when temptation comes, these things are still in play for you. And, and I see this over and over again with men and with women, with young teenage girls and with, uh, with teenage boys all the way up to adults and senior citizens in the area of pornography, is that you haven't settled that in your heart. And when the temptation comes, do I click? Do I not click? Do I watch? Do I not watch? And you're trying to make a decision in the moment. And for the most part, the want and the desire of the moment lead you to a place that you don't want to go and lead you to a place of regret that you only wish you could go back in time and not click that and not watch that and not go there. I'm telling you. It's because you haven't determined in your heart and settled the issue like you have in other places of your life. Until you do that, you're going to wrestle with the flesh like it was a brand new problem every time. Sometimes you'll win, but way too many times you'll fail. And those failures get added to a list of regrets. 
and then you'll take them back to God and you'll find yourself going to the Lord and asking for forgiveness over and over and over and over again. And eventually in your prayers, you start to wonder, I wonder how God feels about this. You start getting nervous about that repentance and forgiveness prayer. Because you know God says that if you confess your sins, I'm faithful to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You know Paul says, should I continue to sin so that grace can abound? Absolutely not. And inside of you, you know these verses and you're reconciling them and you're troubled with them, but yet you don't want to live under the weight of your regret. And so you take this back to the Lord because ultimately the godly sorrow inside of you is drawing you back to repentance and God wants this process to take place. And he is as broken over this as you are, but he is a fr- he's frustrated over the fact and you continue to justify. And again, what it says in verse five, don't be fooled by those, but try to excuse their sins for the anger of the Lord will fall on those that disobey. And look, we just continue to go back. You know what God's saying to you as you repeat these sins over and over and over again? God's saying, come on! Settle the matter in your heart and stop it. That's what he's saying. Chances are this has become an idol to you, and you're running to it instead of him, and he's frustrated and broken, and you want him to clean up the mess. And repent and to, confess and to forgive you of your sins. Of something that you're running to something else for. For comfort. And he said, I am your God. Return to me. Settle it in your heart. Just like you've settled other things in your life. That you don't have to think about it anymore. Married men, married women, you go home to your spouse. Why? Because you love them and know it's also because you've settled it in your heart that that's where you go. You know this. Settle it in your heart. And so he gives us a remedy in verse 8 and all the way through verse 11 of how we can avoid regret. And he says, so once you were full of darkness, verse 8, once you were full of darkness, but now you have the light of the Lord. And so we live as people in the light for this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. And here's a secret verse, man, right here. This is is where it all comes together. What I've been building up to, trying to make us understand the principle of, now we're going to see it in God's word. So carefully determine what pleases the Lord. You hear that? And then take no part in the worthless deeds of of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. He's saying carefully, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. And settle the matter and don't do it. Stop it. Determine it and settle it. If you look at the word study I gave in your message notes, you, you'll see that carefully determine means we test. We, we look at the, every situation. So it's easy with pornography. It's easy with sexual immorality. I mean, so we examine it. What do we think that God thinks about this? Well, he thinks it's disgusting. He thinks it's immoral. He thinks it destroys families. He thinks that it's blah, blah, blah. I mean, we, so we carefully determine, does this plead the Lord? No, it doesn't please the Lord. So is it hard to determine what God thinks about it? No. And so then we, now that we've carefully determined what God thinks about it, then the next verse, take no part in the worthless deeds. We settle the matter. Once we understand how God feels, we settle it. Do you understand how easy this principle is? 
And so if we just look at that lens and we apply this to our lives and we just think, how does God feel about this? And then we finally and fully settle this matter that we don't even give ourselves an option anymore to, to deal with this. Then your godly sorrow, when you've screwed up before in the past and you fully confess, man, I'm telling you, because your heart's broken over what you did, especially now that you know how God truly feels about it, and you confess that to him, there's a change of heart which results in a change of direction because you've settled the matter and you're not going to go back there again. It's no longer should I click or shouldn't I click. It's like, I ain't no way I'm clicking that garbage. You want to put your foot through your computer. You want to smash your cell phone, okay? I'm trying to help you understand it. And I think it's great to look at it in this context, because for most of us, it's an emotionally charged topic. Because no matter where you are on the spectrum, all of us can agree, yeah, that's really true. I mean, I got to get away from that, or gross, stay away from that. No matter where you are on the spectrum of that, we can all see it. But what's really cool about this verse is that this is a lens that you can apply to every area of your life. And so now that you understand it in this particular area, what I want you to do now is to take that lens and start to aim it at all the different places of your life and see how you can let this filter begin to shape all the different places that God wants to take this concept and begin to blend it through. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord and then settle it once and for all. So imagine how your life would look. If you were to take this lens and apply this to every different place in your life. We looked at the context of sin, but what if you looked at it in just your personal disciplines? Just, just look at your personal body. God says it's a temple. And so if you just were to, just were to say, okay, I'm just going to look at this, carefully determine what pleases the Lord, and then settle the matter. What, what does God say about your body? He says it's a temple. And so how are you taking care of the temple that God's given you? What are you allowing into your mind? Is what you're allowing into your mind pleasing to the Lord? If not, identify those things and settle it. If what you're putting into your body is not pleasing to the Lord and you're not taking care of yourself, then determine that's not healthy and I'm going to settle it. If I'm not taking care of my temple, then I'm going to determine that's not pleasing the Lord, and I'm going to settle it. As a testimony to you, here's an example of that and, uh, that I shared first service that, that I didn't plan to share, but I, this is exactly the case of what I'm trying to walk through. I've shared with you before how God has broken this chain in me with idolatry and food. Right? Every time I would be stressed out, whether, I mean, if I could be excited and eat, and so I, I could be sad, I could be eat, I could be angry and eat. If I had any emotion, it would drive me to food. I don't know what it was, but I didn't like to feel emotion, and I would take that to food for some reason. And God helped me understand that it was a part of idolatry, and he helped me unravel all that. But then I made a commitment that was carefully determined what pleases the Lord is that I don't want to eat under heavy levels of stress. And so I've made a decision that I'm just not going to eat under heavy levels of stress. And so I had a really rough day. It was a really bad day, and I was frustrated over several things that just seemed to stack on top of themselves. And I got home from work. I didn't have any dinner prepared. Jana was actually, she had gone into, the, into work that day. So she came home, and she stopped and picked up dinner on the way home. And she picked up my favorite comfort food of all times, Publix Fried Chicken. Anyone with me on this? They're like, they know what to do with fried chicken. 
And so she shows up with Publix fries, like two, like not just one. I see this, and I'm like, dang. And I'm like, I'm like on 11 on a scale of 10, like stress. And she brings this chicken in the house. And she says, are you guys ready to eat? And I'm like, and she can tell you this true story. And, and I said, no, because I, although it's dinner time, and I could fully justify, well, it's dinner time, we're going to eat. It wasn't like I'm stress eating. It's like dinner time, God. But we don't understand where I was in my stress. And I just said, no, honey, I, I can't eat right now. I'm going to have to just sit here and pray. So I sat in the other room, and I let my family eat, and I sat there and prayed. 6.30 goes by, 7.30 goes by, 8 o'clock goes by. She goes, are you going to eat? And I'm like, I don't know, I can't right now. I'm still praying through this stuff. I'm just trying to process, trying to process. 8.30 goes by. She said, I, I'm, I'm going to just put it away because I don't want it to get bad. So I'm just going to put it in the refrigerator. You can eat later. I'm like, that's fine. 10.30 comes. I still haven't eaten dinner, and I go to bed because I haven't processed what I'm dealing with. But I'm telling you what. I carefully determined what pleases the Lord, and I'd settled it. And that food wasn't calling out to me. What was calling to me is the decision that I had made, that I'm not, that's, that's not important right now. What's important is that I had to sit in this. Because what I told God is, when I'm having an emotion, instead of taking the food, I'm going to sit in the discomfort and let him minister to me. And you know how I felt the next morning when I woke up? Victorious and hungry. <laughs> 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 starving who said that it's so funny because <laughs> I was hungry that little yogurt in the breakfast was not enough <laughs> I wanted chicken for breakfast that's what I wanted but <laughs> but you get the point is that we, we have to determine in advance not in the moment we determine in advance what pleases the Lord and we make that adjustment what about in your spiritual life what, what do you think God wants from you when it comes to spending time with you? What do you think pleases the Lord? How, how often do you think God wants to be with you? Do you think he wants to be with you a couple times a week, spend some time with you? Or do you think he wants to daily spend time with you? Do you think he wants hurried time with you where he's just like, man, five minutes is all I need with Steve, man. Maybe three and a half minutes, but that'd be plenty with Steve. Or do you think he wants like some time? Like you think, you think God wants and desires, you think it'd be pleasing him to have unhurried quality time with you. Do you think that would please him? Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Do you think that would please him to have unhurried quality time with you on a daily basis? So settle it. How is that going to happen? Not, oh, I wonder if I have time tomorrow. I'm going to be so busy. It's going to be a busy day. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to pull it together. Stop it. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord and figure out how to make that a priority. There are certain things in your life that you've already made a priority to that you don't let miss. Some of you will watch TV shows. You won't miss it. Some of you will, won't miss certain programs or athletic things because they're like commitments. Determine what pleases the Lord and then, man, schedule that. Should we go to church this weekend? I mean, we've got all these opportunities, and you know, this is a, we've got this thing and the schedule and this thing. Should we, should we, should we, should we, should we? What pleases the Lord? Should we tithe? Or should we XYZ? Determine what pleases the Lord. Settle the matter. I'm telling you, for us, that was a big deal with giving because we, did, we weren't a tithing family. I wasn't, my wife was, but when we got married, I, I wasn't a tither. 
but she had determined in her heart to be a giver. And when we settled that years ago, and now it's like we don't think about it. It's not a matter of what we could afford. Well, we need tires. Maybe we shouldn't tithe. No, it's like they don't even think about that. We think about we tithe, and then we figure out how we get tires. That's just how it works. But God always provides. You see the point I'm trying to make? That works for your business. That works for your personal finances. That works with the relationships that you're in. It works with every area of your life. So take that filter, take that lens and apply it and look for different ways. And so I, just want, to, I want to challenge you is to just say, God, where is it that you want me to put this lens into, into motion? So Christians, that's your task this week is to find that spot. Determine it and settle it. Here's some practical ways. Should I stop using profanity? You know, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Should I have sex before I get married? Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Should the person I'm dating that we've already begun to have sex before we're married, should we stop having sex before we get married? Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Settle it. Should I get drunk on Labor Day weekend? Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Settle it before tomorrow. <laughs> Should I plan for retirement? Should I tell the buyer about my concerns on the contract before they sign? Carefully determine what pleases the Lord when it comes to your integrity and settle it. Should I volunteer? And serve with my gifts at church. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. And settle it. You see, because Christians who master these things in their life, they live with greater purpose. They find more joy. And they live with fewer regrets. So I pray that you would put this into practice. And so in the last couple of minutes, I just want to share with you. That if you have not made the decision to follow Christ, this is the most important part of the conversation that you need to listen to. Because I've talked to you this morning about a great principle in life that you could say, I could do that. You don't have to be a believer to carefully consider what pleases God and then apply that to your life and settle it. You could actually do that without being a believer. But the thing that I began the message with, you can't solve on your own. That sin problem I was telling you about, that's a major problem. And you can't fix it. And the only way to fix it is by applying this filter I gave you, though, to a very important question about who Jesus is. We have to carefully determine who we think Jesus is and then settle the issue. So the question for you is, have you come to a decision in your life where you've carefully determined who Jesus is and have you settled that issue once and for all? Because if you have, well, then everything I've talked about today can be yours. Forgiveness of sins, freedom from guilt and shame, an application lens in which you can apply to every area of your life to make wiser decisions and live with fewer regrets. Man, the benefits are huge. But it begins first with a relationship with Jesus Christ. See, so who is Jesus? Jesus is God's son. By the authority of Scripture, that's how we know that. 
You've probably heard John 3.16 that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have eternal life. The eternal life I'm talking about, remember you can spend an eternity in hell separated from God. You're going to live forever somewhere, either separated from God in hell or with God in heaven. And so Jesus Christ is really determining where you are. And so Jesus is God's son, and he has the ability to save you from your sin. You have a stain on your life, a sin stain that doesn't, you can't wash away by something good that you do. The only way that that stain can be freed up or washed away is by the blood of Jesus Christ, that although your sins are there, the, the blood of Jesus will wash it white as snow. It's crazy how it works. But it only comes to those who ask Jesus to be their forgiver and their leader by trusting who he is, by saying, you're my Savior, you're my God, and surrendering your life. And once you have surrendered your life to God, well, then you can do what 1 John 1, uh, 1, 9 says. It says this, that if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves because there it is. We all have sin, every one of us. But if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. There's the forgiveness part. And when we forget forgiveness of sins, well, then that's, that just gives us a desire to want to follow him. Like Once we know what Jesus has done for us, we're like, well, now what can I do for you? I want to follow. So Jesus says, listen, here's what you do, Matthew 16. If you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way. You take up your cross and you follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, well, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. So what benefit... What do you benefit if you gain the whole world, this world we live in, but you lose your soul? Is there anything more important than your soul, your soul that lives forever? So carefully determine the answer to that question. What's more important, the world you live in that's temporary or your eternal soul that's going to be separated from God or spend an eternity with God? I would venture to say that that's the most important thing. Determine who Jesus is. And determine that your soul, the value of your soul, living in eternity in hell, is too much risk to put your gamble in. Give your heart to Jesus Christ. If you do and you settle that issue, then you can have your sins washed away. Isaiah 1.18 says, come now, let's settle this. Are you ready to settle this? Come now, let's settle this. Though your sins are like scarlet, <clears throat> I will make them white as snow. And though they're red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. Your guilt of sin, your shame and regret, they all go away. You can leave here today lighter than you came. Your burden and your load are left behind. Jesus says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you are weary and carrying a heavy burden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle at heart. And I will give you rest for your souls. My yoke is easy to bear, and my burden is light. Are you ready to settle this matter once and for all? If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, this final moment is for you. And we want to invite you. In just a moment, there's going to be some people standing in the front of the church ready to receive you. The church is going to sing a song about God's faithfulness. 
And at the conclusion of that song and during that song, anytime you can come down and say, I want to know what it means to follow Jesus Christ. If you're watching at home, you can text the word surrender to 97000, and we want to get you some information. For those that make a decision today in the room, we're going to give you a new believer's Bible, and we're going to give you a book about what it means about Jesus being your Savior. We're going to give you some next steps also inside this book of what it means to take those first steps with Jesus Christ. We want you to know exactly what it means when you say yes to Jesus, how you can be sure that he's your Savior, and how you can be sure your sins are forgiven. Folks, it's the greatest decision you'll ever make. I don't know anybody who's ever said yes to Jesus Christ who's ever regretted it. This is something that you want that will never leave you with regret. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for this morning, and thank you for the promise found in Scripture. I pray right now, Father, as we sing this final song, as, as Christians all around the room who understand your faithfulness, who understand your forgiveness, who understand the, the joy of our salvation, Father, as we sing this anthem of our faith together, great is thy faithfulness. As we sing this together, Father, may those that don't have that hope, may they desire it so much that they'd be willing to step out of an aisle or send a text message just to say, hey, I got to know. I'm ready to settle this matter. I've determined today that I need to make Jesus Christ my Savior, and I'm ready to settle it here and now. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.